Father, we pray that you would help us now to receive the word for what it really is, not the word of man, but the word of God. Thank you for your word again this morning. May we never grow tired of thanking you for communicating so plainly and so clearly to us. So thank you. We thank you again. And now we ask you to work your word deep into our hearts. We believe it is powerful and it is living. I'm so grateful for that. I don't have to make it living this morning. It already is. And Spirit, you're already in this room working in our hearts. And so work your word, Holy Spirit, down into our hearts in a way that will help us. Um, Help us to know you. Help us to believe in you. Help us to love you. Help us to live for you. So work that into us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue this morning through 1 Thessalonians. If you want to open up in your uh, scripture journals or you can grab a Bible on the end of one of your rows. And there's extra paper in the back if you guys need extra paper. There's one more journal. Come on, you guys. If somebody doesn't take that journal. You know, come on. It's the very last one, and we're going to be done 1 Thessalonians by 2026. So, (laughs) had your chance. Well, there's extra paper in the back if you need it. All right. So, 1 Thessalonians is about living with and for Jesus while waiting for his return. It's about our, our life in Christ as we wait for his return. And this morning, as we turn the corner into chapter 4, we're going to see that it is about walking in holiness with Jesus while waiting for Jesus. It's about what it looks like for us to walk differently in holiness and in sanctification while we wait for Jesus' return. So Elspeth's going to come and read, and she's going to start in chapter 3, verse 11, and then read partway through chapter 4, verse 3. So if you want to follow along, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. I had it on, I think. Did I? Yes. Okay. I did. First Thessalonians three eleven. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. How is your walk? How, how is your, your walk with Jesus? How would, how would you describe your holiness? You're being set apart from the world and instead towards God to walk with Jesus. How would you describe your sanctification? You're, you're being renewed. You're, you're putting off the old and putting on the new. You're being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. How would, how would you describe that this morning? See, here in this transition, at the beginning of chapter 4, we go from talking about our faith 
to living out our faith. We go from talking about what we believe to how what we believe is to impact how we live our lives every day. And so Paul makes this transition, not just in topic, going from faith to holy living, but also in mood. I don't know if you can catch sometimes, you're reading your Bible, how there seems to be a different mood to some text than another. I see that in chapter 4, verse 1. This whole next section to the end of the letter has a whole new mood to it. Look what he says. He says, finally. And he's not saying finally like, all right, I'm almost done. He's saying finally like, all right, this is what I've been building towards. In other words, here, here we go. Are you ready? Buckle up is sort of what he's saying. So he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you. So that's the mood change. All of a sudden now he's going to ask us some things and he's going to urge us to do some things. And he continues that thought. If you look uh, at verse 10, we didn't get there. The second part of verse 10, he says, but we urge you, brothers. And then if you look down at the verse that my eyes can't focus on to find, verse 14 in chapter 5, he says, and we urge you, brothers. So as we go through the rest of this, we've got three, and so we urge yous. So he's going to ask questions, and he's going to urge us. He's urging us. He's zealously trying to encourage us in a direction. This is what Paul's aim is. It's almost like maybe some of you kids, maybe teens on the first day of school, maybe your mom or dad sat down with you, and they were like, all right, it's another school year. How are you going to do it? Are you going to please God? Are you going to work hard? We're going we're gonna to work on this together. We're here together. Let's do it. Or maybe some of you kids went to school this weekend. Your teachers stood in front of the classroom and did something like that, right? It's another school year, guys. Here we go. How's it going to go for you? Are you going to give it your all? Are you going to listen to me as your teacher? Or are you going to do your hardest? If you do, we're going to have fun. It's going to be a good year. Or maybe it's more like a coach on the sidelines or maybe in the locker room before the big season starts. And the coach kind of gets down with everybody. He's like, all right, guys, this is our year. We can win it all. Are you ready to win it all? Do you want to win it all? Come on, let's go. Let's work hard together. Let's band up together. Let's do our best together. We can win it all. Do you want to win it all? All right, ready? One, two, three, go. Like that kind of pep talk. That's really what Paul is doing here. He is urging us. He's asking us to consider our walk, to consider our sanctification, to consider our holiness. And he's urging us in a direction. And so this morning, I kind of get to just come behind the wave that Paul and God have put in this book and do the same thing. This morning, I want to urge you. I want to ask you to consider your walk with Jesus. I want to do it in four ways. The first one is this. I want to urge you. I want to urge you to walk as you ought. To walk as you ought. Do you see that? Verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk. There's a way that we ought to walk. There's a way that we ought to live. There's a way that God wants us to live together and to live our walk with him. It's the way that God created you to live your life. Now he uses the word walk a couple other times in the rest of this letter, all basically just to describe living, in case you're wondering. So walking is just another way of saying our life 
with God, our, our life with Jesus. And he's going to use the word walk interchangeably in this next little section with the words sanctification and the word holiness. I don't know if you caught those. Let me just point them out to you. In chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about God establishing your hearts blameless in holiness. And then in verse 3, he talks about this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then in verse 4, he talks about controlling our own bodies in holiness. These are the exact same words. I, they, I think the translators wanted to not make it too redundant, so they used the word sanctification when they could have used the word holiness all of these places or the word sanctified in all of these places. And then if you look down at verse 7, he says, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. So he's going to talk about holiness, sanctification, and how all that relates to your walk. How are you walking in your sanctification? How are you walking in your holiness? How is your walk with Jesus this morning? And there's specifically ways that he wants us to walk. Ways that he wants us to walk. In fact, the rest of this chapter, the rest of the letter is all about ways to walk. Ways that God wants us to walk. Ways that we ought to walk. So let's just look at them really quick. This is a good overview for us. Here is how you ought to to walk. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's how you ought to walk. Look down at verse 9. How ought you to walk? Well, you ought to walk in brotherly love. Brotherly love. Look how else we ought to walk. He says at the end of verse 10, but we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more, to aspire to live quietly, how you ought to walk, live quietly, to mind your own affairs, work hard with your hands, and to walk properly among outsiders. That's how you ought to walk. How else ought you walk? Well, you ought to walk in hope. Look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So he wants us to, we ought to walk in hope. Look down at verse 12 chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. That's how you ought to walk. Look at verse 13. And esteem them in high, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. How should you walk? How ought you walk? At peace among yourselves. Verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, here's how you ought to walk. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. How else ought you to walk? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. How ought you to walk? Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good. How ought you, how ought you to walk? Abstain from every, good, from every form of evil. So you see what he's doing? So I'm going to make this as simple as I can. The rest of the letter is going to teach us how we ought to walk. Just like the rest of this book, right? I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, isn't it all about how we ought to walk? It's about how we live in our relationship with God, with Jesus, how he wants us to live our lives, what he wants us to believe. It's what it's all about. So over the course of the next months, whatever it takes, Tyler Jordan and I will be walking us through ways we ought to walk. We're going to be going through all of these together, ways that God wants us to walk. So there is a way 
whether you believe it or not, that you ought to live your life. There is a way that you ought to walk. So I want to urge you in that. I also want to urge you to walk with one goal in mind. One goal in mind. We're talking about all these different ways we ought to walk, and we need to do those with only one goal in mind, and it's seen in verse 1. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Why walk how you ought to walk? One answer. To please God. It's to please Him. Why would we pursue holiness? Why would we pursue sanctification? Why would we want to be transformed? There really needs to be one motivation, friends. I just want to please God. Do you ever just pray that? I feel like that might be my most common prayer. After God have mercy on me, I need Jesus. It's, I just want to please you. I just want to please you. I want to please you with my attitude. I want to please you with my actions. I want to please you with my words. And that's what he's saying here. Listen, he's your creator. He's the one that's keeping you alive right now. Your heart is beating right now because God is making your heart beat. (laughs) And he's your savior. And so, of course, we want to please him. That's the motive. That's the aim. We want to please him. And it's silly some ways it has to be here, but for me anyway, as I was reading this, it's like a smack in the face because I know that my heart is more out to want to please me or at times to please you because when I please you, it pleases me. I don't know, maybe, you're, maybe you're not there as much as I am, but I find this pull in my heart that I want to walk in a way that leads to the least resistance. I want to walk in a way that makes others respect me the most. I want to walk in a way that brings me the most comfort and the most pleasure. The things that make me look good, wise, and successful. That's why I want to do certain things. That's why I want to walk certain ways. And he's saying, no, don't do it for that reason. Walk as you ought to walk because you want to please God. And maybe some of you are crippled by the fear of man and you always have to please other people around you. Listen, you know that leads to a train wreck. Both of these do. I mean, it's amazing how many people will leave a church because one person looks at them with a funny face. Listen, you will get looked at with a funny face here at some point. Don't, don't come wanting to please people. Come wanting to please God. Make that your aim. God wants us to live our lives with a singular goal to please him in every way. And, and know that as you do that, everything is going to go perfect in your life and then there'll be no more trials or suffering. So Paul made his aim to please God as he ought. He wanted to please God. He wanted to live as he ought. And here's how it went for Paul when he set out to do everything he ought to do to please God. Here's how he describes his life. Great labors, imprisonments, countless beatings. Five times I received 40 lashes less one. That's 195 lashes with a whip for someone whose goal was to live as he ought to live to please God. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, 
I experienced, listen to all this, danger. In danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, cold and exposed. I don't know what Bible people read when they say, if you walk with Jesus, you're going to experience all the blessings of the world. Because <laughs> that don't seem true. So don't seek to please God because you think somehow then everything is going to go fine. And I know that we never would say that outwardly, but it creeps into our hearts. I remember very vividly having a conversation many years ago with a couple who were going through some serious trials. And they began to talk about how they, how they did everything right in their courtship. And then they did everything right as they got ready for the wedding. And then they did everything right when they first got married, committing themselves to God and God's ways and God's plans. And they had some kids, and they wanted to keep reading God's word to them and bringing them to church. And they were generous people. And, and I remember the couple just saying, we don't understand then why we're going through what we're, do, what we're going through. Why the trials? We did everything we were supposed to do. As if somehow we have this belief that when we walk the way we ought to walk to please God, that then God opens the floodgates to everything being lollipops and roses. Which you and I know is not always the case. You know it. But listen, it may not lead to lollipops and roses, but you will have a clear conscience your soul will be at peace. And over time, there will be an underlying joy that carries you through all the things that you have to walk through. Listen, walking God's way brings peace because God is a God of peace. God's ways are always good because God is good. He's good. If you believe he's good, his ways are good. So I urge you this morning, walk as you ought and do it to please God. Just do it to please him. God, I'm just going to do this for you. The outcome is up to you. Whatever happens as a result is up to you. Whatever the next day entails, it's up to you. But I just want to please you in everything that I'm doing. So I urge you this morning, walk as you, are, walk as you ought and walk to please your Savior. And number three, I want to urge you this morning, join Paul in urging you to walk to please God more and more. Walk to please God more and more. Look what he says. Let's keep, keep going back to verse one. We tie it all together. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Identify where you're walking as you ought and do it more and more and more and more. So this is a process. We get to excel at walking. <laughs> Walking's not very exciting, is it? He's saying, excel in your walk. Excel in your sanctification. Excel all the more in your holiness. Excel at being set free from sin and its lies. Be set free from living more and more for yourself so you can live in God and God's ways, the way that God created you to live. Excel in these things. 
See, your, your sanctification began a very long time ago, and it's going to continue until the day you die. Because it's a process of you becoming more and more conformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ. But I love what Paul says here. I love how he identifies the fact that their sanctification is already underway. You're already doing it. He says, just as you are doing. So look, this is, this is near the top of my things that I love about getting to do what I do. And that is, I get a front row seat to watching you do the things you ought to do to please God. I wanted to go, I sort of make a list of all of you members and like all the ways I see you pleasing God and wanting to urge you to do it more and more. But here's a sampling without names of things, but you may be able to identify yourself in some of these. I get a front row seat in watching you walk as you ought to walk and to keep doing it more and more when it comes to making decisions, hard life decisions that please God. Making decisions to not do other things that you know will not please God. I see you pleasing God by fighting to believe what is true about God even when life is very difficult. I see you walking as you ought to walk by sacrificing time to love and serve each other. I see you all dealing with sickness. I've seen you deal with death, yet have hope at the same time. I see you discipling your kids. I see you making Sunday mornings a priority and bringing your kids here. I see you all discipling the kids in Christ kids. Listen, that's a way you ought to walk, discipling one another. You're doing it. You're already doing it. I see you committing to the Sunday gathering, to community group, to being in your group of three, to one anothering each other and caring for one another, serving each other, making each other's me each other meals. I, I see all of you, I see many of you spending time sacrificing things you could be doing selfishly. Instead, you're spending it with neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus yet. I see you long-suffering with people who have deep problems and need help and are weak, being patient with one another, doing good to one another, and the list goes on. And so I just want to join God in saying, do it more and more. But whatever you feel God doing in you and the things you know God is working in you, do it more and more. Don't be passive. Don't be satisfied with your current walk. Don't sit back and cruise in your holiness. I want to join God in urging you, do it more and more. Grow. Come on, let's grow together. Grow in your holiness. Grow in your sanctification. Grow at what it means to please God. Keep it up. Don't give up. Do it individually. Do it as a family. Let's do it together. Let's grow. Let's consider the ways that God wants us to grow because it is a lifelong process. I want to ask you two application questions this morning. They're going to go on the screen. How do you think God wants you to grow at pleasing him? Do you have an idea of what that looks like? How do you think God wants you to grow at pleasing him? And then the second question, remember these are, Paul says, I'm going to question you and urge you, questions and urging. What ought you do more and more to please God? What can you do more and more of? Where, where does God want you to grow at pleasing God? And so I want to do this. We're going to take a minute right now and have reflection time. I want you to take a minute and consider these two questions. You can jot them down. You can talk to your spouse, your neighbor, your friend. And I just want you to consider these two questions. We're going to play a little, little background music um, while this is going on. We're playing the music. I just want you to think through, how does God want me to grow? What am I already doing that I want God to do more of in me, that I want to grow more in? So let's take a minute. You guys can spend it just thinking and praying, and then I'm going to come back and preach point four.
I was just talking to Elspeth, and I was thinking, how much, not that there's in a place for this other thing, but how wonderful to think about, what am I doing that I know is pleasing God, that we're seeing fruit from, that I can just do more and more of, rather than focusing on all the things I know that I'm not doing well, and then trying to figure out how to get myself out of the mud to do them better. Not saying I shouldn't do that. There's a place for that. But there's something about going, so where are our strengths? What God's, what's God doing? How's he using us? And how can I then do that more? How can I increase in that? So that's the urge this morning. Whatever you wrote down, whatever you, you talked about in the last two or three minutes, think through those things. What can I give myself to more and more so that I can please God with my life? So last, last urging here. I want to urge you in this. I want to urge you to walk in the Lord Jesus. I want to urge you to walk in the Lord Jesus. I get this from the two little phrases, the one in verse 1. He says, finally then, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. And then look at verse 2. He says something similar. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Those are little phrases we could just throw away, right? We've overlooked them. In the Lord Jesus, through the Lord Jesus, as if there's some kind of little tagline or something. And they're not. In fact, I think these urgings here to walk in holiness and to please God more and more must flow from you being in the Lord Jesus. It is only when we are and because we are in the Lord Jesus that we can even walk in a way that pleases him in the first place. So the urging here is to walk in the Lord Jesus. And if we don't walk in the Lord Jesus in our holiness, it will lead to drudgery in your pursuit of change. It'll be miserable. Because you'll be doing it on your own, and you'll be doing it forgetting what Christ has already done for you. So if in the Lord Jesus is not a phrase that has power and weight, if in the Lord Jesus is functioning in your heart somehow, then all of this urging for you to please God and to live differently will kill you. It'll kill you. I'm not exaggerating. It will kill you. You've got to do it with an understanding of what it means to be in the Lord Jesus. I think when he says, in the Lord Jesus... I think he's first talking about our union with Christ. I hope, I plead with members of Christ Church that you have a robust doctrine of your union with Christ. What does it mean for you to be united with Christ? What does it mean for Christ to be in you and for you to be in Christ? Because that's what it means when he says that we're to do these things in the Lord Jesus. Listen, it's because of your union with Jesus that you can pursue any measure of holiness or sanctification. It's because of your union with Jesus that everything that Jesus did in his life and in his death and his resurrection, you did too. You participated in it because of your union with him. And I have good news for you because of everything that Jesus did it pleased God. So you are in Christ. You're united to the one who did everything perfectly in order to please the Father. This means that because of your union with Jesus, 
He imputes, and that's a big word, he attributes to you all of his perfection on your account. It gets transferred to your account. So walk pleasing God because Jesus has already fully pleased God on your behalf. Did you hear that? That's huge. That's life-changing. You seek to please God. You seek to walk as you ought to walk because Jesus already walked the way that God demands us to walk. And he did it perfectly. Another word you could use for this is justification. Another big word. Justification is kissing cousins with sanctification. I mean, that's not a good analogy. Sorry. They go hand in hand. Sanctification and justification work together. Another way I think of saying in the Lord Jesus is talking about our justification, our union with Christ that brings about our being righteous, our being declared righteous before God. This is what Jesus does for us. In his death and in his resurrection, he cleanses us from all of our sins and then he clothes us with his perfection or attributes to us all of his perfection so that it goes to our account. The word justification is a courtroom word. It's, it's, You've got to kind of picture a judge's chamber and the judge is sitting there. And it's the father. And, and you're standing in front of the judge. And Satan is there accusing you of everything you've ever done wrong to the father. And as you stand there, you know it's all true. You are guilty. You deserve death. And the judge is about to pronounce the death sentence on you because of your guilt. And the payment must be made for your sin. And then Jesus steps up. (laughs) And he steps up and he goes, hold on a second. Hold on. I've got something to say. I have already paid the death penalty for Matt. I've already died in his place. The wages that were due, which was sin, for sin, which was death, I already died. And then all of the good that he needs in order to get free, I've already done, and I've written them in a book, and it's perfect. And then the father looks at you and says, it sounds to me like you're going to go free. You're Debt has been paid in full. The ransom has been taken care of. You have a clean record with a long list of good deeds and things that you've done that have pleased the Father. And then the Father says, You're free. Now go live as a free man. You're free. Go live to please God now. You're free. You don't have to live tied up in sin anymore. You are freed. Now go live the way that God wants you to live. That's a courtroom. That happens. You are now declared righteous before God. Your being declared righteous is what gives you the power to live righteous. That's where the power comes from. And so we see this very clearly, how your justification and your sanctification work hand in hand. It's in Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 10, these little verse, two little lines, life-changing. It says this about Jesus. For by a single offering, that is the death of Jesus, 
the sacrifice of Christ, by a single offering, Jesus' one-time death, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time. He's already perfected for how long? All time. Yeah, all time. Already perfected who? Those who are being sanctified. They work together. You are being sanctified because you're already sanctified. You are positionally sanctified, so now live sanctified. You've already been cleansed, so live like a cleansed person. You're already free, so live like a free person. That's the point that he's making to us. I hope you understand what this means, that your sanctification is only possible because of your justification. But they are different. Justification and sanctification are different because your justification will never change. Your sanctification is always changing. You're never going to be more justified than you are today. You're not justified more today than you were yesterday. You're justified. In other words, saying you're righteous already. God has declared you righteous. And listen, God accepts and loves you based on your justification, not your sanctification. That's the lie of the enemy who wants to convince you that he loves you based on your sanctification. And it's not true. It is based on your justification. It's based on Christ, what he's already done for you, what he's already done in you, and the fact that you have been declared righteous and clothed in him. Let justification be your happy place. Let it be your happy place. Go there. Because this is what it means to be in the Lord Jesus. It means you're united to him and that you have been declared righteous. I want to share a little illustration for, um, I guess, high schoolers and maybe there's some children and middle schoolers in here that I hope maybe this will help with this idea. There wasn't a class for the older kids and high schoolers and middle schoolers. I know you guys like this kind of stuff too, so here we go. Profound stuff. This is a cucumber, or as my kids called it when they were little, a cuckoo-cumber. Or for many of you, Larry the cucumber, <laughs> depending on the age of your kids and what you've been going through. This cucumber spent its childhood and adolescence growing on a vine until it reached adulthood. While this cucumber was on the vine, it dreamed of its purpose, one day to be put on a salad or sliced and dipped in ranch dressing. That was its aim, that was its goal as it grew up in life. Sorry. This once was a cucumber. He too lived his life growing up as a little gherkin, waiting the day that he would be used in a salad or dipped in ranch dressing. But then one day, his life was radically changed. One day, he found himself in a jar of pickles. And in that moment, his identity changed. He went from being a cucumber to becoming a pickle. Now, you guys who can, don't start correcting me with just a pickled cucumber, okay? Just, we're not going there. Just get your imagination go. 
His identity changed. No longer is he a cucumber or she, but a pickle. And not only did his identity change, but his purpose in life changed because no longer would this now pickle be used the way that he thought he was going to be used. No getting dipped in ranch dressing and no getting put on a salad. He has a new purpose now because he was in the pickle jar. He is now destined as a side to a Jersey Mike sub or perhaps sliced on a Chick-fil-A sandwich or a hamburger, maybe McDonald's hamburger. No. His identity was changed because he was in the pickle jar. And his purpose in life has changed because he was in the pickle jar. Kids, when you are in Christ, your identity has changed. You are now in him. You belong to him and he is yours. And your purpose has changed. You are now set aside for God's purposes, whatever they are. So remember, your identity has changed and your purpose has changed if and when you are in the Lord Jesus. Now, I urge you, if you're that kid this morning, you're saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I urge you, don't live like a cucumber. Live like a pickle. Because you're not the same person anymore. Someone else owns you, and they have purposes for your life that are good. So I wanted this morning, I know these are some of these are bigger theological terms, justification, sanctification, pickles, and cucumbers. <laughs> but I want to urge you, walk as you ought to walk, and walk to please God, and walk to please God more and more but do them all because you are already in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do them through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're transitioning now from faith to what you do to your part in this journey of sanctification, reminding us that we've got to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's this benediction at the end of chapter 5 where it's almost like it gets flipped on its head for a moment. And it's a beautiful benediction. And I wanted to end by just sharing it with you. Because it gives you that little boost of, oh yeah, it's not really just me at work in my sanctification. Somebody else is at work. It's not just me at work in wanting to be changed and conform more into the image of Christ. Somebody else is at work. So he ends, Paul ends this little letter in chapter 5, verse 23, and look what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. <laughs> that just gives me hope. As I'm pursuing sanctification, Jesus himself is also at work in me, sanctifying me. So I'm not just positionally sanctified because of Jesus. I'm actually growing as a Christian because Jesus is at work in me, day in and day out, through the power of his Holy Spirit. So he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely 
do it. You want confidence this morning that God is on your side and there's power for you to change and grow and be set free from sin and conform more into the image of Jesus? Here it is. He will surely do it. You believe God's on a mission this morning. He's on a mission. He doesn't want to see you tripped up by sin. He doesn't want to see you distracted. He wants to see you living the way you ought to live to please him and to do it more and more so you can enjoy the freedom of a justified child of God. That's his plan. And so this morning, I urge you, I urge you, walk as you ought. Walk to please God. Do it more and more and do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing. Why don't we stand? The band's going to come. If somebody needs a pickle, it's up here. Let's stand. I want to pray a prayer of sanctification over us. And let's enjoy God and sing together. Father, I thank you so much for the reality that you're at work. I thank you for the way I see you at work in the hearts of my friends. I thank you for the way I see them living as they ought to live. And I'm so grateful that I know that you want all of us to do that more and more. And so I pray that you would help us to identify where we are living as we ought to live and then help us to do it more and more. And help us to do it not to earn anything from you, not so somehow then we would get something from you, but God, may we do it just because we want to please you. May the results of it, may we lay it at your feet. May we, may we let you take it. But God, we want to we wanna please you And so help us, I pray. Help us, God, that our heart's desire would be singular to please our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.